What Mike is handing out is a, um, is a worksheet, basically. It's just kind of a handout reviewing the past number of weeks. We've been talking about faith in action, and we've been talking about it in the perspective of, of God's original intention in faith and action and what that means in our life. So this really is a summary over, over three or four weeks, and I'm going to kind of go over some of it today again as we kind of catch up because I know we've been on spring break, and that means most of our minds have been other places. So to get back to where we were a couple of weeks ago, we'll do a little review. But this is something you can work on through the day or tomorrow or later in the day. Um, there's a lot of scriptures here and some things, so um, it'll help you kind of keep up, catch up to where we've been and, and hopefully where we're going to go with this, uh, with this concept because it really is biblical, I believe. Um, you know, over the last couple of weeks, we've been speaking um, in, in pretty good detail, actually, of what is God's original intention for mankind? And, uh, you know, we so often, I believe, part of the problem that we have with the American church is that we get we believe that conversion and salvation and redemption and as absolutely important as they are I mean I, I wouldn't want to go without either one of those even though they're the same conversion redemption and salvation are all the same different different words but as important as that is I, I think it's important that we recognize that that's really not the original intention for mankind God didn't create us with the intention of us ever having to be redeemed he created us perfectly. He created us to work in the garden alongside him in a perfect state, in a perfect body that would last forever. He created our bodies to be eternal bodies. And it wasn't until sin entered into the Garden of Eden through the choice that Adam and Eve made that sin and death and destruction and decay and all of the other problems that we have today came into the world. But it wasn't by God's choosing. It was by man's choosing. Man chose that path. So now we're in plan B of God's original intention. Plan A was to live forever, eternally with him, working the garden, uh, never having to deal with sin, never having to deal with pain, never having to deal with sickness, never having to deal with mosquitoes, all of that stuff. And then man made a bad choice and mosquitoes came into the world. And that's where we're at today. That's where mosquitoes came from. We all hate mosquitoes. Nobody likes a mosquito buzzing by their ear. Yeah, we'd like to see one now. Well, be careful what you ask for. Because a great big one might sit on your But anyway, so, so, the, so the biblical premise then of that, we, that we're in today is that we're living in a good version. And I don't want to make this in any way negative or de, de, uh, uh, degrative at all. But plan B, and that is that we're living with the, with the belief the biblical premise and belief that mankind is saved by having a belief and an acceptance in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, who came, lived a perfect life, died a perfect, died a death, resurrected again from life, from death to life, and now we have forgiveness of our sins based on the blood of Christ. And it's now our faith and our belief in that that gives us a direction or a path back into God's plan A. Right? It's, it's how we get back into the garden of where we're at. So that's kind of where we've been. So let me, let me start off, let me review a little bit, because the faith and action part, the works part that come along with living a Christian life, has given a lot of people a lot of problems. A lot of people have gotten false teachings and false issues and false beliefs, and, and there's a lot of 
um, people that won't come to church or won't believe in faith and won't have religion because they think that the faith and works action, they don't understand it. They don't understand what it means to work the garden. They don't understand what it means to, for a Christian to have to work when we've been saved by faith. It's a gift of God through God's grace. And then when we say work, all of a sudden it throws people into a tailspin because they say, well, well wait a second. I thought I was saved by grace. Well, you have been. But there's still work. So, so that's what we've been talking about. So let's talk about faith. First of all, we, taught, we said faith was something that is defined in a dictionary as a belief or a trust, a belief or a devotion to or a trust in somebody or something, especially without logical proof. Okay? Faith, if I can see something, I don't need to have faith in it because I can see it, I can touch it. I don't need to have faith in something that I can see and touch. But when something comes to me that's illogical, and yet I'm instructed to believe it, that requires a level of faith for me to believe that. All right? So we've, we've talked about that. And we also talked about having faith is not just faith in my feelings, a faith in what a guru has told me to have faith in. A faith is in God. Faith is in Jesus Christ. Faith is according to what the Bible says about who we have faith in, not just what we have faith in. It's important we have to have faith in Jesus, not in, not in Buddha. Because Buddha has nothing to back up his claims of faith. Because Buddha is a dead man. All right? He has no living, uh, uh, no living legacy of Buddha. Whereas Jesus Christ died, but he died for our sin, and then he rose again for our living and for our life and for eternal life. So the faith that we have to have is in Jesus and in God's word. All right? And then it goes on in, in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. It says, without faith it's, it's impossible to please God. Without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. So, faith, it's not just a nice thing to have. God just doesn't appreciate it when a person has faith. He's made it so mandated that it's impossible to please God if a man doesn't have faith. It's impossible. All right? So now... That's, that's pretty, uh, a pretty strong word, but now we need to know that we're not alone on this journey of faith because it's not myself that I gain my faith from. God is the source of faith, and it's important that we recognize that too because he wouldn't ask, he wouldn't require something of me that he won't give me the ability to do. He wouldn't require me to have faith if it was up to me to get it initially. All right, Romans chapter 12, verse 3. For, by the, for the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according, here it is, to the measure of faith that God has assigned. So God has given each man a measure of faith. Now that's just a measure of faith. That's not your ultimate amount of faith that you're to have by the time that you grow up and be a spiritual man or a spiritual woman. That's the measure. That's the initial measurement that God gives us all so that we have the faith required to accept Jesus Christ as our Savior. That is our foundational premise of Christianity is the faith that God gives, the measure he gives to me, that I now can exercise that faith and believe in that faith and believe in who Jesus Christ is and what he did for me. That's day one. But now comes day two and day three and year three, and year six, and if we're lucky, maybe 80 years on this life. 
that we have to live a Christian life. Now, I, I've said it before, and I, and I say it again, and I, don't, I, don't, I wouldn't want to be this man, but the man that had the easiest road to salvation was the thief on the cross because he believed, and that day he was in paradise. Now, I'm sure he doesn't have a lot of rewards, <laughs> but so what? He's in heaven, you know, and, and uh, that's a great place to be. Our life, however, we've been given a different opportunity. For those that have accepted Jesus Christ in our hearts and lives, the opportunity that we have is now to continue to do what the Bible says, and that is to store our treasures up, for, uh, our treasures up in heaven where rust and moth do not destroy and thief does not steal, and then we lay our treasures in heaven. Not just things, our treasures. We work for treasures, right? I mean, we work hard here in this life to gain, to gain a, a, a salary increase or a commission increase or a raise on the job. We work hard for that. And that doesn't last very long. But yet, we almost, we almost have the problem, we almost have a thinking that it's wrong for us to think that we want to have heavenly rewards or heavenly returns. And let me tell you, that does not come from God. That line of thinking does not come from God because otherwise God would not say, lay your treasures in heaven. He would say, lay your garbage in heaven. He's not, he doesn't want your garbage. Your garbage stays here. <laughs> in fact, your raise ultimately ends up being your garbage, and that stays here. Okay? The treasures are the things that we're talking about today, and that, and that requires, you know what it requires? It's a four-letter word, and nobody likes it. It's called work. That's how we lay up our treasures in heaven, by working the garden that God has placed us in in this life. Now, who does God want to be saved? He wants every man to be saved, doesn't he? 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3 and 4. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. That's why God gave every man a measure of faith. Every man has enough faith to be saved if he would choose to accept it. It's his choice. No excuses. So that's where we're at. So um, we are now living, um, as we've talked about, we're living in, in God's plan B. And that's not a bad place to live. Because, but God's plan A, his original intention for mankind was never to need to be redeemed, as we've already talked about. But it's important to recognize how thankful I am, and if you're living in plan B with me, how thankful we are for Jesus Christ. Right? We don't want to ever minimize how important that is. But I do think we need to recognize the deceptive strategy of the enemy that moved mankind from plan A to plan B. He didn't do it on his own. He was enticed and he was deceived by the enemy that is still alive today and still in the same business of deception today. So it's important that we recognize that, that we recognize that the enemy came in, he twisted God's truth, he didn't come out with a bold-faced lie, he didn't come out with a bold-faced sin, he came out and said, did God really say? A simple question. And with that little simple question, all of a sudden, all of human, humankind and mankind spun into the world where we're at today. And you know the devil's still asking you the same question today? Did God really say in your life, did God really say that you need to do this or you shouldn't do that? Do you know the enemy is still in the business of deception? God is still in the business of truth? 
The devil's in the business of deception. And that's how they, we moved from plan A to plan B. But now that we're here, it's important that we understand our responsibilities. And we're talking about going back over the, the material on faith again. And, and why is it so important that we talk about faith as much as we do before we talk about work? It's important that we get the order correct here. It's important that we understand that we must have faith first and an increased amount of faith. You know, that the measure of faith that God gives us is just enough, basically, to get us saved. And then it comes the issue of we're to ask the Lord to increase our faith. That's biblical, not for you to kind of make up your own, not for you to tie your, pull your own feet, yourself up from your own bootstraps by saying, I'm going to create faith, I'm going to get my own faith. No, that's not where we get faith. The faith is we ask the creator, we ask the giver of faith to give us more faith. More faith to handle life's problems. More faith to be able to understand that we don't um, comprehend God's goodness even through the difficulties of life. Even through the hard times in life, the things that we don't understand, it requires faith for us on an increased measure to look at it and say it's okay it's okay with my soul that song it is well with my soul what a a story behind that song and it it takes an increased amount of faith for us to have increased over then over the just that short little measure that God gave us because if you you, and we went through these scriptures and I won't go through them again today but but you can listen if you want to on the the internet um, but Jesus talked to his disciples about you, oh, ye of little faith. And he criticized them for not having enough faith. And these are his disciples. And so Jesus was telling them and and encouraging them that they have to increase their faith if they're going to be the world changers that he knew they could be. They needed to increase their faith by going back to the source. And the source is God. The source for us is Jesus Christ and through the power of the Holy Spirit. So we need to continue to increase our faith. So the importance of faith in in having the right order, what it is, is this. And this is where people so many times get hung up because the work part of Christianity can be confusing. But this is what it is. The work of Christ on the cross declares us righteous. All right? Therefore, Therefore, because I'm righteous, because of the cross, now I work to please God in the area of my life and in the garden that he's placed me. It's important that we get the order right. What it's not, it's not that we don't work first to gain our righteousness that qualifies us for more righteousness. That's, see, that's where people get hung up. That's where they think that when we start talking about works, they start thinking we're talking about works-based righteousness. Well, let me tell you, to God, that is detestable. That doesn't even make the mark at all. He hates that because that, that's rooted in a, in, a, in a root of pride that stems in pride. And, and we all know what the Word says about pride. It's detestable to the Lord. And He opposes the proud of heart. And the proud of heart is the proud of heart that says, I will gain righteousness through my works. And that's wrong. That's wrong. uh, But our working comes then as a result or a response 
of God's righteousness based upon what Jesus Christ did on the cross for us. And now that I have that righteousness in my, imputed into my heart through his forgiveness of sins, now my work really becomes a pleasure. It, it changes. Remember we talked a little bit about the definition of work, how, how work in our society today has such a negative connotation to it because it talks about loyal and, and strife and, and, and hardness and, and you do it for an income and you do it and you don't want to do it. That's the way work is defined today. But when you look at what Jesus or what God was intending to in the garden when he asked Adam and Eve to work the garden with him, that was really a pleasure based on relationship. There's a whole different reason, a whole different thing. And so now as we are struggling in our life in plan B, but we get plan B, so now we're back imputed righteousness that Christ has given us. We're back in plan A. Now we go to work the garden in our lives, and it really should turn more into pleasure, relationship building with God and people. See, Christ died when we were yet unrighteous. It's important that we say this. Romans chapter 5, verse 6 through 8. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. That's me and you, by the way. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It has nothing to do with my works. I have our righteousness or lack of righteousness has no impact, had no impact on Christ's decision and his willingness to die for us. No impact whatsoever. And, and it was only that Jesus came as to, to become that payment of sin that God required so that we then, who chose to, could then be redeemed back into right relationship with God. And that's why Jesus says, I am the way. I am the only way to the God the Father. There is no false religion that will get you to God. There is no, I'm just going to be a good person to get you to God. There is no, I'm going to believe in this, this Eastern mythical religion that's going to get you to God. They may get you to do good works, but those good works, though, don't do you any good unless you have already imputed the righteousness of Jesus Christ in your life, and then the works will last. If I do works before faith, I'm just spinning my wheels and wasting my time. That's why we have to have faith before the works. And then it's imputed as righteousness, and then I'm laying treasures in heaven because now my works are based upon the right foundation. You know, that's the big, that's the big problem with, with Mormonism. That's the big problem is that they have to go out and work their way. And the thing is, they're so close. It sounds so good, doesn't it? And they do good things. They have great food banks. I mean, they take care of their people. They really do. They're so close to the truth. But they're missing the fact that Jesus has to come first. If they could only get over that, if they could put Jesus first, I would join them. <laughs> if they would get Jesus first. I've got to be careful with that statement. But you have to have Jesus first, right? Jesus first. Works come after we have that faith built up with Christ. And what good I do without having that is really 
amounts to self-righteousness and amounts to nothing at the end of the day. Now, we're all going to spend whatever amount of time we have in this earth, and we're all working hard. We're all toiling in this earth, aren't we? Can anybody say that life is really easy for you? I mean, can any of us sit back and say, you know, I just have life so good that I don't have to worry about anything. I don't have nothing. I have nothing that really uh, puts pressure on me. I, I don't think so. So where I'm going with this is this. There is going to come a day when we will, if we have made the right choices, be able to get to a point where we can say that. When we get to heaven, when we see Jesus face to face, at that point in time, life is good. I mean, really good. So now, logically speaking, if you are going to work hard all your life, doesn't it make sense that you work hard all your life for the right reason, with the right motivation, so that you hear, well done, thou good and faithful? Because you could work hard all your life and be ushered into a hellish future forever and ever and ever if you don't have the right foundation first. You're going to work hard either way. So work hard with the right motivation. Work hard with the right thing that you're doing. Work hard with the right intention. And that intention is to do what? Please the Father. Our intention is to live a life of righteousness and holiness because it's pleasing to God the Father who is the creator of life and he's also the judgment of life. Who do you want to work for? Who do you want to gain pleasure with? Who do you want to have the pleasure to come back to hear, well done, thou good and faithful? Do you want to hear Jesus say that to you? Or do you want to hear the devil and his, and, and his minions in hell say, hey, I've been waiting for you, man. Come on, join the party down here. It's a little hot down here. You won't have to worry about snow down here. You decide. I don't, I don't like snow. I mean, I like snow. I don't want to go where there's no snow. <laughs> I know what I want. And I want to hear Jesus say that to me. So, so here we are now. We're, we're to that point of conversion, okay? We're all to the point here where we've had that conversion experience in our life, and now we've said, Jesus, I, I'm, I'm sorry. Forgive me of my sin, okay? And this is what the garden says. Genesis 2.15, this is God's original purpose for us. And it says that the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. That's our intention. That's our purpose. We're now at the, we're at the time in our spiritual life where we're saved. We're on the road to sanctification. We're on the road to heaven. And now we're at back into the point now where my days have to be filled with godly and righteous work. This is not the time to get lazy. This is not the time to rest on God's grace. We're to do as Colossians 1.10 says. That, so we are to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit, here it is, in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. I would challenge anyone to go through the Scriptures and find anything in here that would say that laziness is pleasing to God. That sitting back on yesterday's victories are pleasing to God. That just being good enough is pleasing to God. I would challenge anyone to go into God's Word and find that Scripture. For every one you find, I'll find a lot more 
that says that we're to bear fruit in every good work. Much fruit. Yeah. And over and over again and every day. And so, so this is where we're at. So we talked then about the, the, the micro garden. We're back in the Garden of Eden now. There's a micro garden and a macro garden. The micro garden is small, meaning my life. Okay, my heart. That's the micro garden. And I have responsibility to live and to tend my heart. And we, we spent a whole week on that. I, I don't want to go back to that. But that's really important because that's where, um, if I don't get that part right first, then the macro garden or the bigger garden, which is the world I live in, my community, my family, my job, all those things, I'm not even qualified to be working in the macro garden if my micro garden isn't righteous. When we realize that the macro garden is bigger than a micro garden, what that means is it's more important that I live for the bigger purpose versus the smaller purpose. And what that means is that, and for some of us this may be a really big downer here, and it may be a depressing thought, but what this means is that it's not all about me. It's not all about you. It's not all about what pleases you. Life isn't about how much I can gain to make me happy. Happy, happy, happy. <laughs> ah, some Duck Dynasty, folks. I love it. I knew I'd get the Duck Dynasty. But that's not the point. That, that's, not, that's not where I'm supposed to spend my time in my own pleasure. And when I, get, when I have that understanding, when that, when, when, that, when that comes to me, there's a whole new revelation of life that opens up before me because now I understand if it's not all about me, then who's it all about? If life's not about just pleasing me, then who am I to please? And this is where the pastors get into trouble. <laughs> this is where we get to meddling a little bit, okay? And I'm not going to meddle in life here, but let me. But I will tell you this. I... I, I um, I'm not going to make a list of do's and don'ts today. I'll tell you that right now. So just be comfortable. I'm not going down that road because your do's and don'ts are different than mine. But I do have to say you have to do them. And I'm not going to let... I'm just a messenger. I'm, the Bible's not letting anyone off the hook here. Okay? The Bible is not letting anyone off the hook on when it comes to doing your do's and your don'ts. I was having lunch with, or coffee with uh, Jim Beers and Lawrence... This, uh, this past week, and, and uh, we were talking a little bit about it, and Lawrence, you know, it's all Lawrence's fault when I start preaching hard, because Lawrence says, man, keep preaching hard, you know, keep preaching the truth, and he says, I don't care if you step on my toes, that's all right, and the immediate thought that came to my mind was, well, Lawrence, if I've stepped on your toes, I've already stepped on my own, because whatever I've prepared to talk about, believe me, I'm accountable to this, and if you get a pastor that says, I can do this perfectly, and you're not, well, let me give you a little hint. Go find another church. Go find somebody else. Go, go, go live under somebody that's telling you the truth, not the perception of the truth, because I struggle in these areas like you do. I struggle in living a working life like you do. I have laziness issues. I have all these things, and it's a good thing my wife's not here because she'd be saying amen. You know, it's important to have an accountability partner, and whether you like it or not, probably the one closest to you is probably the best. My wife is my best accountability partner because whatever I say here, she holds me to later. And she doesn't put any bones about it. She's a, she's a great lady. I love her a lot, but she's tough. 
and she holds me to everything I say, and it's just not fair. But that's where I'm at. So what is, our, what is our macro garden? What is your macro garden? And this is where I think we need to spend the next few minutes. I know time's flying by on us here, but, but our, our macro garden is your home is a macro garden. Your business where you work is a macro garden. Our, your church is the macro garden. The friends and those you hang out with are your macro garden. Our commitment to world missions and what we give to world missions and what we pray for world, world missions is your macro garden. And what kind of influences, what kind of responsibilities do we have to those people? Matthew 28, 18 gives us that responsibility. And Jesus said this in 18 through 20 in the chapter 28 of Matthew. And Jesus came and he said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. What our responsibility is, according to Jesus, is that we are to go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, and we're to baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now, this command is the Great Commission. We're all familiar with that terminology. But what's so important that we hear here is this. That command was not just given to Peter or John. It was given to all the disciples in turn given to all Christians so that this responsibility then rests on the shoulders of a lot of people because any one person could not handle this besides Christ. Any one person could never handle this command and deal with it without going stir-crazy because it's just too big of a responsibility. But when we take that responsibility and spread it over the church, and spread it over the shoulders of every one of us in this building today that our responsibility to go into work in your macro garden because here's what's so important is that you have an influence in areas of people's lives that I don't. And you have an area of influence that your neighbor doesn't in that area of life. So as you and I take up that responsibility in the areas of life that we have influence in, we can become productive and we can bear much fruit. If, if, I'm not afraid of work. If I'm not afraid of sharing the gospel. If I'm not afraid of doing my part in that where I have personal influence in. And this is where some of the traditional methods have to be challenged here a little bit. This is where church in the traditional sense has to change a little bit. We have to begin to realize that church is not defined as four walls. Church is not defined as just who's in this building today. Let me take a, let me go down a little logical discussion with you a little bit here. Do all people, first of all, get saved in church? All right. So, no. All right. Do more people that are unsaved attend church or not attend church? There's more people that are not saved not attending church. So if most people don't attend the church, then how are they ever going to get saved in a church? Church is a big, you see the, the key word is church here? So who's going to be responsible then for their salvation? The pastor or the evangelist in a church? Are they responsible for people to save people that aren't in church? <laughs> I mean, I could preach a really good sermon to an empty church. And I could give an altar call. <laughs> but if nobody comes because there's nobody here, then I'm just kind of talking. So who is responsible then, in all honesty, to get those saved 
that aren't saved today. It's the Great Commission. We are to go outside into the byways and the highways and compel them to come in. And and we're to save the unsaved in our living, in our righteousness of living among them, in the world, among them, but not to be of them. So important that we understand that, that we're to live in with them, we're to have relationship with them, we're to rub shoulders with them, we're to talk with them, we're to eat with them, we're to have jobs with them, but we're not to be of them. There's a big difference there, isn't there? Jesus could eat and talk and, and, and fellowship with, with the, the non-believers, but he never became of them. So here it is. Here's our responsibility today. We have, we have three options as a church person going out of this building today into your life tomorrow, that you have three options with the outside people that you're going to run into. You can either bring them the gospel so that they can have the opportunity to make a life-changing commitment where they're at, and you do that by living in front of them, not just talking in front of them. So our responsibility is to bring to them the gospel so they can have the opportunity to make a life-changing commitment. That's one way. Also, two, we're to be consistently and graciously inviting them to church so that we can then share the gospel and the discipleship in the church. So I'm not saying that you can't invite people to church. You should invite them to church. Church is a good place to be. But that's not the only place they get saved. Or here's the third option, which I don't think is very pleasing to the Lord. And that is you can do nothing. So if the person has no hope of receiving Christ, either by your witness or by your invitation. So you have three choices. You can either live a life that honors God, live a life that honors salvation, live a life that challenges uh, an unsaved person. You can invite them to church. You can invite them to be part of our body. Or you can do nothing. Um, I'll let you choose what you want to do. But I hope you don't choose number three because that is not the one that's going to be pleasing to the Lord. Um, 2 Timothy chapter 2, in verse 15, it says, Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved. Wow. A worker who does not need to be ashamed. There is that worker again. That, that, that word just keeps coming up, doesn't it? See, Paul's given, he's in this, he's he's giving people a very clear direction that there is no way to get around that option. There is no way to be a Christian, to really, truly be a Christian and not be a worker in the kingdom. I just want you to know that. Can I speak truth and love and honesty? You can't be a lazy Christian. It, It just doesn't work because you're not bearing fruit. You have to do what God is asking you to do in your micro-garden, meaning in your heart, and in your macro-garden, meaning in your life, and you have to do it in such a way that you're pleasing to the Lord. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 14 through 26. Those passages right there will give you a good mandate, a good description of what it is to work the garden what it is to work both the micro-garden and the macro-garden. 
Starting at verse 14, 2 Timothy chapter 2, keep reminding God's people of these things. Warn them before God against quarreling about words. It is of no value and only ruins those who listen. And here's verse 15 we already read. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. Avoid godless chatter because those who indulge in it will become more and more ungodly. And then skipping down to verses 22 and 20 through 26, it says this. And this is where we need to look at the, the micro garden a little bit. It says, flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments because you know they produce quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but must, but must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. Opponents, or those that are unsaved, must be gently instructed in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth, and that they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to, his, to do his will. That passage right there, go back and study that. Go back and reflect on that. It will tell you your responsibility to the macro and how to live the micro. And they have to happen together. See, you have to realize that you may be the only person that can impact that person. You may be the only Bible they read, is what I've heard said before. You may be the only Bible they see is what they see in your life. And are they seeing a life that is truth? Or are they seeing a life full of partial truths? Partial truth is nothing more than lies. Let's just say it for what it is. It's just a lie. If you're living a hypocritical lifestyle, if you're saying one thing and living another in front of people, you know, it doesn't take a rocket science to figure that one out, does it? It's not going to work. So we have responsibility in the garden that God has placed us in. And that garden is to work it and to tend it and to have relationship over it. And then make the work a pleasurable work because we're serving and we're pleasing God our Father in heaven. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. Lord, we thank you for this word today. We thank you, Lord, for what it means to us and for us. Lord, this is a word that should challenge each one of us. It should come and it should hit us right between the eyes at some point in time in our life when we realize that we have the responsibility that you gave the Great Commission not just to the disciples and not just for the preachers and the teachers and the evangelists, but you gave the Great Commission to the moms and the dads and the, and the, and the, and the kids and all those and the workers and, and everyone in, in, the, the, in this life that claims to be a Christian, they have been given the Great Commission to get out and fill it. So, Lord, I pray that you give us that graciousness. I pray that you give us that heart. Lord, I pray that you would open up the areas in our life that are not pleasing to you. Lord, I pray that we would accurately and carefully dig out the weeds of our hearts, the micro garden that we're in right now. Lord, I pray that you would come and surgically remove those things that are hindrances to us. Those things that are maybe not full lies, but are justified lies. Justified things. Lord, that deep down we know they're not right, but yet 
we've become friendly with them. They've become kind of a pet to us. And we really don't want to get rid of them because we have our little secret pleasure in them. But God, I pray that you remove the deception from the, from the eyes of us. That we all would see that that is an evil. It is not a, a, a friendly thing. It is something that we shouldn't play with. Lord, I pray that you would bring the garden back to its perfectness through your righteousness as we would work it and tend it and weed it. And then, Lord, I pray that you would put us functionally into the macro garden of our church and of our home and of our community and that we would be productive workers and that we would bring others into the storehouse through our examples and through our words and through our invitations. Lord, we just come before you, God, with an open heart. In Jesus' name, amen.